Well, good morning again and happy Easter. My name is John Wayne McMahon, lead pastor of Core Worship. It is good to be with you and good to celebrate with you. Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 11. We're reading in two different places. We'll start with verse 25 and 26 and then skip to 38. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And then verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks again for your presence with us, even in this online format, Lord, to celebrate Easter with you and to focus on the resurrection. And God, I pray that you would add your blessing to the reading of this scripture, your holy word. Where we are empty, would you fill us? Where we are weak, would you strengthen us? Where we are wrong, would you correct us? And would you send us out once more? And God, I pray for myself that you'd speak through me or in spite of me, but may it be your message that's delivered. We love you and trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Let all God's people say, amen. Why do we make such a big deal about Easter? I mean, it's a lot. And if you spend any time around the church, it is a lot. Months of planning And I'm sure that you're all wearing your Easter best this Sunday, even if you're watching online, or maybe you're watching later on and you were dressed to the nines on Sunday. You look wonderful, by the way, I'm sure. Butterfly releases, that's what we're doing this morning in the park, flower crosses, uh, moving worship into the heart of town, families planning uh, the whole day around, even maybe the whole weekend around spending it together. It's interesting because we do a lot around Easter and yet a few years ago, Barna Research found that not many of America really knows what Easter is and why it's important. Barna Research a few years ago did this nationwide study of both religious and non-religious people. And what they found was very interesting to me. They saw that two out of three, about 67%, did actually tie Easter to an idea of a God. Now, there was a lot of different views about what that was, but this theistic kind of idea but only 42% of Americans in this survey were able to associate Easter with the belief that Jesus had come back to life or resurrection. 
with some even associating it to the birth of Christ, which that's a different holiday when folks are coming to church, or some associate it with the rebirth of Christ, which is kind of mixing together some different religions, I think, or the second coming of Jesus, which I get the confusion there, but Christians believe the second coming is something that's different. 3% of Americans surveyed believed that it was just some kind of spring or pagan holiday. And the study shows that even church-going individuals are largely unlikely to invite non-believers to come to church with them on Easter, which is fascinating because the church makes a big deal about evangelism and outreach out into the community. The study shows something that's fascinating. The director of this project, David Kinneman, points out this by this quote. He says, most Americans continue to view the Easter holiday as a religious celebration, but many of them are not clear as to the underlying reason for this occasion. Perhaps most concerning from the standpoint of church leaders is that those who celebrate Easter because of the resurrection of Christ are not particularly likely to invite their non-believer friends or neighbors to worship, suggesting possibly that even for the church-going believers, Easter, they might know the meaning, but it hasn't taken a sense of urgency in their heart. Because if the resurrection is what we say it is, man, we should want as many people to be a part of this message. And, and I start today by, by not trying to make anyone feel bad about all of this, but simply to acknowledge this general understanding of Easter is lost in our country. And within the church, even among those who know the idea of Easter is the resurrection, I would still ask some further questions about, do we actually believe in a literal resurrection? And if we do believe in the resurrection, what does that do? How has that shaped our hope? Because we seem to be pretty bankrupt of hope in our world, even within the church. Do we believe this is just some wonderful story or metaphor that we could conquer and get through hard things? Or is this something that really shapes who we are? Do we like this story because it makes us feel good Or has this story shaped everything for us? And I won't be able to alleviate all of these questions today, but one thing that I think is certain that as we look to John 11, the scripture, the story of Jesus resurrecting Lazarus, as we go to a funeral, I think we might be able to wrestle with some truths of the resurrection. Why? Because this is the funeral where death dies. Now, this is one funeral I would have loved to be at. Maybe not at first because it has all of the characteristics of a funeral, but this is an amazing scene we have here. Don't miss it. It is a funeral. There's grief and anger and blame and desperation and tears and there's food as hopefully most funerals have. This is a funeral. However, It is a funeral that frames something very important for us. And I want you to see the participants that are in the story because I think we can learn something from them and find ourselves in the story. Mary and Martha and Jesus and those that are watching, we might be able to relate to them in some way. 
First, Mary and Martha, the sisters of the deceased of Lazarus. This family is, of course, grieving the loss of a loved one. And both of them have a similar response to Jesus. Look at verse 21. First, Martha says to Jesus, if you had been here, Jesus, my brother would not have died. And then after this interaction, Martha goes and fetches her sister. And a few verses later in verse 32, when Mary reaches the place where Jesus was and saw him, she falls at his feet and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you ever been in this place? Almost blaming God for some funeral in your life or some loss? knowing that your faith instructs one thing, but maybe your experiences are not aligning with what your faith might say. Mary and Martha are in a deep place of grief. The other, of course, main character in the story is Jesus. Jesus has incredible feelings in this story that we need to pay attention to. And one of the things that I love about Holy Week is it reminds us that yes, Jesus is the son of God. He's God incarnate, God in the flesh, but he is also human. He hurts like we do. He mourns, he weeps, he suffers, he eats, he experiences all of life like we do. And the first thing that we see from Jesus in this funeral is indignation, frustration with what's happening. The NIV reads it pretty awkwardly. I think it's a little watered down. The NIV that we read today says that Jesus was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. But as you look at the words, it actually denotes anger and sometimes rage. And some read that Jesus is frustrated at the disbelief of Mary and Martha and the participants in the funeral. Some believe he's mad at death. And I think both of those could be right in this situation, but the latter actually grips my attention in ways I can't let go because he is anger at death as he sees his friends struggle with this very thing. Look at what happens in verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in in spirit and troubled or deeply angered. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, come, come and see, Lord, they replied. See, Jesus is moved with anger and he immediately asks, that's it, where is he? Where is Lazarus? And then the very next verse, he cries. Jesus wept, the shortest verse in the scripture. Jesus is angry at death and then weeping with grief, all because he has love for his friends. Don't miss it, friends, as the great theologian T.F. Corinth says that behind the back of God or behind the back of Jesus is not an unknown God. Meaning what we see in Jesus is the heart of the creator of the universe and the one who loves you more than you can imagine today. Jesus shows us the emotions of God right here in this place. God doesn't like death. He doesn't like suffering and loss and grief. What about those on the peripheral, those that came to the funeral, the participants that would be sitting there and eating and singing and being a part of trying to comfort the family? In their suffering, we see them struggle with doubt. In the peripheral of the text, there are others that are present. They could be following Jesus or they could be there for the funeral, but they're there and they're present. And we see them again in verse 37. 
Some of them, the scripture says, said this, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? It's an interesting question. And two things I want you to see from these people. At the funerals in your life, at the very low moments, there will be people that try to comfort you, but do not believe in your God or believe in the hope that you have in your God. And it is confusing for them. The second thing I think we can see from these people is that there are folks looking for God to do something specific and he's up to so much more. See, they look back at the previous text when Jesus heals a blind man and they said, if he could do that over there, then surely he could have stopped Lazarus from dying. And yes, the irony is, yes, he in fact could have spoken a word while many miles away and saved the life of Lazarus, but he's about to give a mightier word across a much greater distance, the distance between the living and the dead. And sometimes in our doubts, we're looking for something specific and we miss that God is doing something much bigger. And Jesus brings resurrection right into the middle of the doubts. And then what I love about this story is that Jesus walks with them to the grave, all the way to the resurrection. With all the grief and the tears, the doubts, Jesus walks with them to the tomb. He's angered and determined. He goes to the tomb and he says, take away the stone. And they respond, but, but it's gonna smell, Jesus. He's been in there for days. Don't you know how this works? And then Jesus says those words, Lazarus, he calls out the dead man. Lazarus, come out. And just the mention of his name brings breath back into Lazarus's lungs. See, in one word, the distance of death is breached. In one word, the greatest loss is overcome. In one word, their weeping turns to joy. In one word, their grief turns into dancing. In one word, the great I am proclaims the greatest exodus. And friends, this is no magic trick. This is not even simply a miracle on the level of the blind man as just referenced. This is the final sign in the book of John because it is the one that shines brightest of what is coming. And see, in just a few days, Jesus was going to be rolled up into a grave similar to this one of Lazarus. And there was gonna be mourning and there was gonna be grief and there was gonna be fear and there was gonna be doubt and loss. But I am the resurrection would not be held by the grave because he defeats death itself. As Ben Witherington puts it, Easter is the place where God's yes to life is bigger than death's no. 
See, Jesus walking out of the tomb after three days, this means that no one is bound by a grave anymore. The death doesn't have the last word. It doesn't matter if it's four days or it doesn't matter if it's 40 years. Friends, watching this, hearing this, sin has no hold over your life that Christ has not conquered. Death has no last word in your life that Jesus's cross and resurrection has not defeated. That's what we celebrate on this Easter, that a new light has dawned in the darkness. And this is why Lazarus is not something for us to pass over too quickly because Lazarus is a foretaste of the promise that is for us that are in Christ Jesus. He is the promise for you today that with one word, he can bring healing That with one word, he can call you to him. That with one word, he can deliver you from addiction. That with one word, he can break you free from your loneliness. That with one word, he can set you free. That with one word, he seals eternal life for you. Lazarus, come out. Mike, come out. Julie, come out. Joe, come out. Mary, Teresa, Tyrone, come out. Walk in life. Friends, wherever you are today, come out and take off your grave clothes. You do not need them anymore. The truth is resurrection changes everything for us. And as Paul puts it, if it's not true, our faith is futile. Why make a big deal about this day? It'd be like celebrating the spring by all of us getting together and sing songs, which might be nice, but how does it carry us through world wars? How does it carry us through pandemics? How does it carry us through the funerals of our life? And can I just encourage you with a few things here? Resurrection changes everything for us. And I I wanna give you three ways today. One, resurrection defines our identity. Two, resurrection defines our struggle. And three, Jesus is walking with you in whatever you face. The first, resurrection defines our identity, the future promise that we too will be raised, that we too do not fear death itself, that we too have been raised for those that are in Christ Jesus. This identifies our our character and who we are. It frames who we are today. The New Testament, especially with Paul, is going to talk about how resurrection hope separates us from the rest of the world. Let me give you one passage of many in Philippians 3. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship, it is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body it completely frames our identity because it dictates where we are headed and who we are even in the present N.T. Wright would challenge that very idea by having us to look deeper into this reality he says left to ourselves we lapse into a collusion with entropy acquiescing into the general belief that things may be getting worse but there's nothing much we can do about them and we are wrong 
Our task in the present is to live as resurrection people in between Easter and the final day with our Christian life, corporate and individual, in worship and in mission, as a sign of the first and a foretaste of the second. Resurrection defines our very identity, individually and corporately. Secondly, resurrection defines our struggle. How we grieve, how we struggle, how we endure in all, it is all framed by this eternal promise. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul distinguishes between the grief of believers and non-believers when he says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Friends, it is our power to endure and our promise to carry us to the end of whatever struggle we may face. Currently, Marvin has some friends that are members of our community that have a humanitarian um, and missional organization in Ukraine where they provide care for at-risk children and foster kids, but also provide humanitarian aid. And obviously, this has been a trying time full of fear and isolation and the worst evil that we could only imagine, but people in their organization are facing every day. And still, every week, it amazes me that our friends here receive pictures from their friends that are worshiping in Ukraine that are gathering together to have the Lord's Supper and to pray and to worship together. And in these pictures, their faces are smiling as they rejoice in the hope that they have in Jesus Christ. This week, these friends sent me a video of a young girl, must have been seven or eight years old, that had recently been hiding in a bomb shelter And while she was hiding there, she memorized Psalm 90. And as she was able to step out for the first time in a while, this video had her responding and saying Psalm 90. I'll give you two verses of Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Some say this is religious foolishness or a coping mechanism. That maybe her parents are just trying to help her deal with the pain or the struggle. Or is it that they're standing in the greatest hope of resurrection and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ and the hope that we celebrate today? Because they have encountered the funeral where death died. That they don't even have to be fearful in in light of the hardest and most difficult thing they've ever faced. Finally, this story tells us that Jesus is walking with you to whatever you're facing. Jesus, the one who says, I am the resurrection. He is walking with you in tears, in anger, in desperation, in doubts. He is walking with you to the resurrection. It is in that tension that we live even now but I want you to see that Jesus is crying your tears on the way to your tomb. Your anger, he feels. Your doubts, he will embrace. But on this journey, there is resurrection and there is life. Some of us, 
are still in the grave. And some of us are still wearing our grave clothes. And some of us have remained spectators of resurrection and have not given our life fully to the truth of this day. Some of us don't know what to do with this, I am the resurrection. But our responses, even if they're lackluster, they can't negate the truth that Jesus is risen. And the funeral where death dies tells us that life is available today to all who would call upon his name. Hallelujah, he is risen. He is risen indeed. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.